Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You notice I'm wearing a headset. I'm not trying to bring a lot of attention to that, but I usually wear a handheld because I do not prefer headsets, but most of our guest ministers do. So rather than testing them out on them, I said, test it out on me. I'd rather we work out all the kinks and flaws and issues with me than with them. So, uh, so far, so good. Verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are where? In Christ Jesus. Y'all been receiving that message on identity, who you are in him, who you are in Christ. Man, it changes everything, doesn't it? So there is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That lets you know that one of the areas the enemy is going to try to attack those who are in Christ Jesus is in condemnation. Because condemnation is not the reality, it's the perception. The reality is in Christ Jesus. The perception is condemnation. So he says, do not be be deceived into believing that you are something that you no longer are. He's letting you know this is a ploy of the enemy. When you come into the kingdom, he's still going to make you feel like you're part of the world. When you come in and you are in Christ, he's still going to make you feel like you are in sin. That's where he's going to try to trick you. That's where he's going to try to work in your life. So he's letting you know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk. Now we're into the conditions. A lot of people don't like to talk about the Bible and talk about the kingdom and its conditions, or uh, another term for that would be its qualifiers. But at the end of the day, there are conditions to meet. There is a standard to uphold. He says, this is for those who no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We've been talking now for some time, really since the last time uh, Pastor Paul was here in August of last year, we just really have been camping in these midweek services on living in the spirit, a life in the spirit. And so now he's showing us the condition and contrasting a life in the flesh versus a life in the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now he begins to shift gears and he helps us get a connection to this walking in the spirit or this walking. Uh, You can replace the word walk with the word live. Really what he's talking about is what is your lifestyle like? What are, you, what are you living? What are you practicing? What are you putting forth in, in daily application? So he says now in verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, watch this, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Notice that what you live out is directly connected to what you think on. What you live out 
is directly connected to what you're thinking on. You cannot be misaligned in your thinking and be aligned in your living, <clears throat> aligned in your practice. You cannot be misaligned in your thinking. We covered that a couple weeks ago. We talked about our mind and we talked about what are the things we're entertaining. When we're talking about this soul versus spirit, the doors that are left open, the gates, the ear, the eyes, uh, the feelings, the emotions, when we leave these gates open, we're entertaining things that ought not have any access. You know, one thing that I've been encouraging the Ritters with throughout this whole process is be careful what has access. When you're in a moment, in a trial, in a challenge, or, or even just in a decision, it doesn't even have to be a, 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 a sinful thing or a test and trial thing. It can be, God, I need to know, should I go this way or should I go that way? God doesn't get louder. You have to soften and quiet the voices that have access to your life. What are we entertaining? And now we have to drill down. We have to narrow things and we have to limit what has access to it. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes we have to quiet the voices of people. Y'all remember Jesus went into the house of Jairus' daughter, showed up at the house and what? Everybody was wailing and travailing and causing a ruckus and, and, and just being loud and emotional. And, and, and ultimately Jesus had to what? put them out of the house. When you're in crisis mode, the question is, what are you putting out of the house? Because the more that you entertain, the harder it is to stay focused and the harder it is to stay uh, in line with what God wants you to do. Alignment is such a, a key thing. Alignment in our thinking produces alignment in our living. We know this because Romans chapter 12 tells us that we are renewed. We, there's a renewing in where? In our minds that ultimately transforms our life. Be ye transformed by not what happens on the outside, but by what happens on the inside, what you decide to do on the inside. So there's a thinking component to this living in the spirit. There's a mind arena, a mental arena that we must address if we're going to live in the spirit. Most of us are not seeing the supernatural because we're not thinking the supernatural. Many times the word of God tells us to consider, consider, consider. Colossians chapter three tells us to set our minds on. Uh, 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 Proverbs tells us uh, that we are supposed to fix our minds on or become focused on and what we're giving our attention to. Give attention to my words. The, the, the little visitations that we give to God's word is not going to cut it. You're not going to walk in the supernatural in the midst of crisis if we're not putting supernatural seed within us. Amen? Does that make sense? And so we see that living in the spirit is directly tied to thinking that way. What are we considering? What are we thinking? Verse 6 says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I, you know, I've noticed in culture and I've noticed in society that the, the world is working more and more to detach your thinking from your living. 
that they want you to think, well, as long as you don't do it, you're okay. It's okay to entertain it. The whole uh, look but don't touch idea. And what it's designed to do is it's designed to keep you in close enough proximity that you'll fall into it. Even if you don't intentionally fall into it, you uh, will accidentally fall into it because you're, you're guilty by association and you end up falling into what you're closest to. No, the word's telling us remove even the thought. Remove even the thinking on. Remove even the setting your mind on. Because that's how you will start to produce those kind of results. It all starts with the thought. It all starts as a seed in your mind. If we're going to produce a supernatural lifestyle, then we're going to have to start engaging supernatural thinking. Supernaturally. When's the last time you envisioned a miracle taking place? Most people today, they hear the word miracle, and and miracle for most people today means something that is so far-fetched that it's one in a million. But yet with God, miracles are normal. What we call a miracle, God God just sees as regular activity. Hello. I think I said it a few weeks ago. We might start seeing more miracles when we stop being so impressed by them. Meaning, I'd be surprised if it doesn't. I'd be surprised if they don't get healed. I'd be surprised if you don't come through. I'd be surprised if you don't see the victory. There's a lot of people afraid to talk that way. You know, the enemy has got us afraid to live by faith. There are a lot of believers that are afraid to live by faith. And the Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. God never meant for faith to be an option for the believer, yet Even in a lot of churches today, we present faith as an optional level of of reaching or obtaining to. And God says, no, not, 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 not one of my believers, not one of my kingdom citizens, not one of my children ought to be living this life without exercising a level of faith. A level of believing in what has not yet taken place. A believing in what you cannot see. A believing in what cannot be explained. A believing in what is not understood with the faculties, the five senses, my my cognitive intellectual ability. But we are so afraid to get beyond those realms. We're so afraid to get outside the boat of intellect, the boat of physical senses, the boat of feelings, the boat of the majority, the boat of what makes sense. We're afraid to get out of these boats and we wonder why we're not seeing the hand of God. I've said it before, you'll never have to work on the giving side of God. You'll never have to do anything to motivate God to do any action on your behalf. He's more than willing. More than willing, it says, to give you the kingdom. That's what Jesus said. All spiritual blessings but yet most believers live from a position, as Jerry Ann ministered last week, a position of lack, a position of deficiency, a position of what you don't have, a position of what, of what you're not seeing. And there's no motivation to live by faith. 
And that's, that's the dangerous way to live. That's a dangerous way to, to uh, go through life as a kingdom citizen without ever exercising a measure of faith. And you know what's, what's interesting, too, is we look at people that have great faith and we think that they just got there. Yeah. You understand the difference between a gift and a measure. People with great faith got there because they used little faith. And the little faith grew into great faith. It's the principle of the talents. It's the parable of the talents. They used the one and they turned it into two. And they used the two and they turned it into four. And they used the four and they turned it into eight. And they used the eight and they turned it into 16. And you see them using 16, you're thinking, oh man, if I only had faith like that. And you haven't seen all the work that they've done to get to the 16. And you're holding your one where they used to be thinking, I'll never get to be there. Abraham didn't get great faith until he went through great trials that produced great faith. Hello? This is not unattainable, guys. This is not something that, well, you know, they're just big thinkers. They, they, just, they just go for it. They're, they're, they're risk takers. They, they just go after it. You know, they're going after the whole gauntlet. You know, I wish I could live that way. I wish I could think. No, you know what? They used it in a small capacity. They're believing God for a million dollars because one day they had to believe God for a hundred dollars. Hello? They're believing God to heal them of cancer because they believe one day that God would heal them of a headache. You got to start somewhere. Faith grows. Faith grows. Faith can be strengthened. And if faith can be strengthened, then faith can be weakened. If faith can grow, then faith can digress. Hello? This isn't something that's just for marked off for a few certain people. That Man, they, they were not given a gift. They were given a measure. And they used the measure and it turned into what they have today. And you have the same... Uh, opportunity, the one with the one has the same opportunity the one with the five had. Hello. And the one with the five used it and made ten. And the same principle would have worked for the one with the one. So we've got to understand that God has a certain way marked off that you and I are supposed to live, and it's not optional. We'll, we'll stand before him and give account just as those stewards did, those servants did, what did you do with what I put in your hands? And he's not even content with getting back what he gave us. He said, you should have at least given it to the bank. Get some interest on this thing. I'm looking for multiplication. I'm looking for something back more than what I gave to you. Amen? Don't squander that. No, he says in verse 5, uh, verse 6, I'm sorry, for to be carnally minded is death, meaning that our thoughts produce but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, I don't even need to ask you which one would you rather have? The result, I mean. I'd rather have life and peace. I don't know about you. Y'all kind of looking at me like you're considering the other Sorry. For me, that's not an option. I, life and peace. I want life and peace. Well, how do I get there? My mind set on the things of the Spirit. The carnal mind will not produce. It's impossible. The carnal mind has still yet to this day in all of eternity to produce a life of life and peace. And on the flip side, a mind set on the things of the spirit has yet to produce death. 
But the challenge is what you're thinking on. The challenge isn't in the production. The challenge isn't in the harvest. The challenge is in the planting. If we don't take care of the planting, then, we're, then we, we cannot take care of the harvest. And what you plant, what you sow is what? What you reap, what we get in return. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about deposits. And many times we find ourselves making deposits in the soul and wondering why we're not reaping in the spirit. We're contributing to an area that we want to feel good in, that can be explained, that can be understood, that makes sense to the natural realm. And God is saying, the reason why you're not experiencing supernatural is because you want everything to appeal to the senses. You want everything to appeal to the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. You want it to feel good. You don't want to be challenged. You don't want to be strengthened. You don't want to be corrected. You don't want to be uh, uh, tweaked and, and, and realigned with what God's plan and what God's purpose is. We cannot make deposits in the soul and expect withdrawals in the spirit. You're leaving the, 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 the spirit empty and deficient, and you go to make a withdrawal, and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. I mean, you can try it tomorrow. Go to your bank and ask them for, amount that, for an amount to withdraw that you've never deposited. It's not going to work. It doesn't work in the natural, and that, that is a principle. Law of sowing and reaping is a spiritual principle. It will not work that you can withdraw what you have not deposited. So where are we making those deposits? That determines the results that we're going to be yielding. Verse 7 says, because the, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's obstructed to God and his word. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. It's not you, and it ain't me. Who's messing with it? This, this is the devil. That's, that's what we used to do growing up. We blame all technical difficulties on the devil. This is the devil in those speakers. He's trying to turn my mic off. Look at him trying to shut the word down. If we're going to stand. I'm not relenting. I'll get another mic. I, devil, I'll beat you over the head with my mic. Blame the devil. Because the carnal mind is enmity, for it is not subject. Here it is. It is not subject to the law of God. That's really the question at hand is what are you subjecting yourself to? Are we subjecting ourselves to God's word and God's ways and God's principles? What are we serving? What are we subjecting? He says that the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible. It's impossible to use the natural to serve God. It's impossible to use the natural elements a carnal mind that opposes God's word and come out with results that he's pleased with. It's impossible. There's no way you can manipulate that. There's no way that, that we can uh, manufacture in the natural what God has designed to be produced in the supernatural, in the spiritual. And again, this all goes back to our thinking. 
If you want to know what you're subjecting yourself to, just take inventory of what your thought life is like. That's a good place to start. What are we entertaining? What, what, what gates are we leaving open? And we think it's, um, you know, innocent. Well, it's just a movie. Well, it's just a show. Well, it's just a friendship. Well, it's just a... Mm. I'm not going to go on a legalistic train here and, and, and tell you, you know, what to watch and what to listen to. But I can tell you right now, uh, if you consult with the Holy Spirit, I'm sure he can inform you pretty easily on the inside. Well, it doesn't bother me. You probably overrode some stuff to get to the point that it doesn't bother you. You ever heard of being desensitized? Oh, yeah. We get desensitized real quick. Okay, but verse 9 says, but you are not in the flesh, but if, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what's he saying? The only way to produce the results in the natural that God is pleased with is when you learn to subject it to the spiritual. It's the only way. You know, we have this, this thought going around today in culture that choosing Making a choice that aligns with God's plan, God's will, God's purpose is you removing and, and, and it's God eliminating your choice. How can I say this? Uh, so, you know, we, we'll just go there. You know, the whole abortion deal, pro-choice and pro-life, right? And so we have this concept that either... You are pro-life, which means you're eliminating the choice, the right to choose, or you're pro-choice, which means it's up to you to decide whatever you want. Well, let me tell you, at the end of the day, it's up to you to decide. I just choose to be pro-life, but it's manipulated and it's twisted that if we're pro-life, then, then you are against the choice. Jesus, or God said in his word himself, I give to you, I, I, I present to you today, life and death. And what does he say? He gives you the answer to the test. That's the best test you've ever taken. I mean, we don't even have like four options, multiple choice. This is, you know, true, false. And I'm telling you which one to pick. 50, you got a 50-50 chance, and I'm going to go ahead and get you on over to the other 50 and give you a 100% chance of getting this right. Well, guess what? When I choose his word and I choose his way, I'm not eliminating my choice. I'm aligning my choice. You see the difference? But the enemy wants to eliminate that. What, you can't choose for yourself? What, you can't do? I mean, you can do what you want to do. I am doing what I want to do. And what I want to do is what he wants me to do. <laughs> I can show you this in the book of John. Keep your finger there in Romans chapter 8. In the book of John, Jesus makes several statements. 
along these lines in his ministry. Now remember, he's the son of God in the flesh. So your, 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 your uh, perception of Jesus might be that he just automatically did what the father wanted him to do. Right, he's Jesus. He's the son of God. He, he, he came here to do the will of the father. And, and so, you know, he didn't have a say in the matter. He just had to obey. He just had to align. He just had to, to fall in line with God's word. Well, that's not according to Jesus' words. In John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, for this reason, John chapter 5 and verse 16, in verse 16, it says, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now. And I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like Manner. Now, this does not mean that Jesus didn't have the capacity to do what he wanted to do. We even see in the word in various times that Jesus uh, maybe didn't have uh, the, the natural will or the natural want to. The, the uh, moment that we all think of, of course, is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And what he actually has a conversation with the Father, and he says, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me. He's letting, he's letting God know, you know, I've, I've thought about this. And, and maybe there's some alternative. Maybe there's some options that you would consider that, that we could do in this moment. But ultimately, he what? He comes to the conclusion, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus determined that my life and my will will align with the Father's purpose and will and intent for my life and for my ministry. You and I have the same capacity to be that determined in our life. You and I have the same ability to engage every decision, every obstacle, every choice, every trial, uh, every opportunity with, am I going to do what I want to do? Or am I going to align what I want to do? So, you know, even when the Bible tells us what? Not to give out of obligation, but for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He says, look, I don't even want you to do it if it's not something you really want to do. What God is wanting, see, we as believers, we don't get to just do things and just say, well, that's just what Scripture says, so I guess I'm going to obey. That won't work. We don't get to do things without passionately aligning ourselves with the Father's will. You know, he called out one of the churches for that. He, 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 he builds them up. Highlights all the good that they're doing, all the good that they're preaching over in, in Revelation, one of the seven churches, the letters to the churches. And then he comes back and he says this, but 
this one thing I have against you. You've left your first love. Now, they were still doing the acts, still performing according to God's word. They had just lost the flame and the desire and the, the, the willingness to align their will. And so even though they were doing the act, God was looking deeper than that. He was looking at the heart. And he was saying, you're doing it, but your heart's not in it. You're doing it, but you haven't fully aligned your will. You're doing it, but not really wanting to do it. So don't even bother doing it, is ultimately what he said. That's a word to the church. That's not a word to the world. That's a word to the church. Jesus made sure I'm not just going through the motions in aligning my will and aligning my actions, aligning my life. I'm aligning, I'm aligning all of me. He even told Peter, you know, when um, Matthew chapter 16, after uh, Peter presented that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You know, further on, Jesus begins to reveal the next steps and the next uh, part of the plan that of what he was going to have to endure, what he was going to have to go through. And then we know Peter gets up and says, Lord, may it never be wanting to defend Jesus. We're going to protect you. We're going to make sure that you don't, uh, you know, get handed over to the enemy and that they crucify you. And they're, we're going to make sure they don't lay a hand on you. And of course, Jesus stands up and says, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. You're an obstruction. You're an opposition. You're a stumbling block is what he's saying. And then he says this, for you are not thinking on the things of God, but on the things of man. You've misaligned your thinking. You've misaligned your, your, your will. You've mis so what's that? That's the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. You've misaligned the soul. You're not going to be able to produce the spiritual results that I want to produce, that I want to see take place. You're not going to be able to, you cannot uh, produce spiritually if you're being led in the soul, if you're being led by your mind, by your will, by your emotions. Y'all with me? So Jesus says, I do what my father wants me to do. He says, I can, I can, uh, the son of man can do nothing of himself. Now, he's not saying that he does not have the capacity to disobey. He says, I've chosen to align with the father. I've chosen to align my will. I've chosen to align my intent. I've I, whatever God wants, I want. Whatever God doesn't want, I don't want. And he lived that way. The very next chapter over in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6 and verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, he can't make that statement if he doesn't have the ability or capacity to do his own will. Right? That would be silly for someone to say, I don't do what I want to do unless they have another thought of this is what I really want to do. But he says, ultimately, I've taken my will, the will part of my life, and aligned it to God and his word, God and his intent. To, to truly have the best interest of the Father in mind. 
So what God is interested in, I'm interested in. What God wants to see accomplished, I want to see it. If we could get a church, come on, on this planet, that is that in sync and that hooked up with the intent and the will and the purpose of the Father, imagine what we could see take place. Not just going through the motions, but truly having our will aligned with his. You know, the one foot in and one foot out, church, those that want to, that are okay with having one foot in the kingdom, but still dabbling and staying near things in the world, they just haven't gotten close enough to the Father. Because I believe if you truly get in close proximity and relationship to the Father, you'll never want the things that he doesn't want. You won't even stay close to it. You won't entertain it. You won't allow it. There's a closeness that God wants his church to be with him, the Father, the King, so that we can carry out what the King wants. There's a reason why the head is connected to the body. Because everything the body performs is a, a function of carrying out what the head wants. I mean, my, my head can be saying, man, I'm tired. I want to go sit down. But unless my body aligns with the head, we're standing up here doing what we're doing, regardless of what the head wants. And there's a head in heaven that wants certain things done and accomplished on the earth. But he needs a body aligned with it to carry it out. So we're getting the signals. We're getting the connection from the head. We're, we're getting the communication from the head. Father, what do you want? Lord, what do you, what, what, what do you see? Uh, how do you see this taking place? Holy Spirit, speak to us, lead us, because that's the Spirit of God uh, speaking to us on behalf of the Father. Even the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on his own initiative. He only speaks what the Father would say. So we hear from the Holy Spirit, and boom, that we instantly respond just as, as my hands or my legs or my feet would respond to what my head wants to do. The church is responding to what the Father wants to do. It's the way he designed it. But it doesn't work if we have a different will, if we're misaligned in our thinking. A carnal mind will always produce uh, death. A, a, a spiritual mind, mindset on the spirit, produces life and peace, produces the results of the kingdom. Uh, he goes on to say, verse uh, verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus was so convinced of the will of the Father, was so uh, in sync and in tune with the will of the Father that he knew exactly what his assignment was and nothing could get him off of the assignment. A lot of us are saying yes to things God never uh, uh, wanted us to engage in because we're not close enough to the heart of the Father to know what he's called us to. And so we end up getting distracted. You know, there were times where Jesus said no. 
There were times where Jesus, there was a time in Luke chapter 4, uh, they were all coming to him saying, Jesus, come to our town. No, come to our town. And he says, no, I can only do what the Father has intended me to do. I can only go where the Father has intended me to go. I can only say what the Father has intended me to say. And you know, he got criticized for that. He got criticized for being so close to the Father. In fact, the verse we just read in John chapter 5 says that they considered him as equal to the Father. Or they were, they were criticizing him because he considered himself as equal to the Father. That's how close in tightness, in relation, in proximity that Jesus was to his Father. That one could be mistaken for the other. All because he subjected and submitted his will, not eliminated his will, but aligned his will to the will of the Father. Go back over to verse or uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what's he saying? I'm aligning. The deeds of the body align with. My body doesn't tell my spirit what to do. My spirit tells my body what to do. My mind doesn't tell my spirit what to think on. My spirit tells my mind what to think on. Y'all with me? He says in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. What he's saying is a characteristic of those that are in the kingdom is that they are led by the Spirit of God in the kingdom. This is how you can identify one that's in the kingdom of God. They don't do what they want to do. They do what the king wants them to do. Alignment. Alignment. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. It's not a spirit of bondage. You're not a slave to the will of the Father, meaning I got to do it even I don't want to. No, I'm a servant, meaning I'm yielding that in surrender over. You've heard us say it before, but religion is activity without surrender. You become religious, you become like a Pharisee when you're going through the motions, but you haven't surrendered your heart. And that's how you end up a grave on the inside and whitewashed on the outside. It all looks like you got it all together on the outside, but on the inside, you're misaligned on the out. This is where, this is how you end up dragging people in sin in front of Jesus not to only ridicule the person, but to test God and his character and what he will do with them. When those Pharisees drug out the woman who committed adultery, they were, do, they were performing two functions. They were shaming the woman in sin, and they were testing God himself. What were you going to do about this situation? That's a Pharisee. You no longer care uh, uh, about what God cares about. Because if you truly cared about what God cares about, and you wouldn't be ridiculing her in public, and you wouldn't be testing me to see how I'll handle this situation. 
Amen. So we got to be very careful with this because religion is only one decision away. It's not the action that makes us religious or not. It's the heart. It's religious activity without surrender. It's going through the motions without placing our full, God, what do you want to do? What is your best interest? So he says, you haven't received a spirit of bondage. This isn't something you have to do. No, you receive the spirit of adoption, something you get to do. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What's that mean? That means that ultimately I'm aligning my will, my purpose, my values, my intent with the Father. Talking about the mind, talking about the will, talking about the emotions. My will is not something that I've eliminated. My will is something that I have aligned with what the King wants. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.